0: Here we are once again, back for your pleasure, or is it just ours? Let us know if you actually enjoy tuning in, or have to have to turn in for some other nefarious reason. Tune into what exactly? Well, this would be the DC Comics News podcast, episode number 45. I'm your host, Seth Singleton, and I'm joined today by the always opinionated and always insightful Mr. Brad Filicky. Brad how are you sir good
1: good how you doing
0: no complaints especially good, when we've good. got this uh amazing list of stories that you know god bless him our editor josh uh the man behind the scenes behind the curtain manipulating the great wizard of oz just he puts it together right like when you look at this stuff i kind of just amazed i'm like Come on, man, you run the site, you handle everything, you're in charge of I don't know how many umpteen things, and somehow you still have a great list of everything we want to know about movies, TV, streaming, and the source material, comic books. And, uh, man, we've got a huge, huge list to start off with. Uh, Really quickly, just because Halloween just happened, I never know what could come of it. Brad, any Halloween stories you wish to tell or in the awkward silence, admit that you don't want to share any details regarding.
1: Uh, (laughs) You know, that's the thing when you, uh, when you have a job and all that Halloween kind of goes out the window in a lot of ways, kind of just there for the kids to hand out candy. Um, And I'm not a big dresser up either. So my, uh, my Halloween was pretty mellow. Uh, Plus the weather was just horrible. Uh, (laughs) It was pouring down rain, super windy. So As far as that goes, Halloween was a bit of a bust. What about you?
0: Uh, Yeah, mine's pretty quiet. Let's see. Uh, Actually, my Halloween, my my wife's been on this uh, new eating exercise regimen. And part of it is that one night a week, she gets a chance to have whatever she wants for dinner. It's called like a flex meal or any time during the day. But like it's the one time she's able to break the rules. So there's this amazing uh, Japanese cuisine place that she found called Kiraku, and we went there once as our first cheat meal and she loved it so much she wanted to go back so it's been a few weeks and we went back on Halloween night stuffed ourselves We're back home by like seven she hates horror movies of any kind so <laughs> we just watched some reruns of family guy you know got in bed like old people and it yeah. was pretty awesome yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know just to tie into I'm sure there were quite a few people who who we're probably dressing up as one of this year's hottest comic book properties, I'm talking about DC Comics, and I'm talking about The Joker. Now, the cinematic version that was just released has not always said that it was any kind of clear connection. And yet, for those of us who were looking forward to it, for those of us who saw it, its roots in the DC Comics universe, to me, are extremely clear. And it's a great way for me to lead off with the movie news. Um, Great announcement, which is that Warner Brothers has really launched its Oscar campaign for the Joker. And this kind of story looks absolutely, you know, (laughs) like one that could really take off given what the uh, response has been. It's really impressive just how many awards they're actually going for. But you didn't just hear or tune in to hear me. Go off about all this. Brad, what was your take on just how many categories Joker is putting itself up for as its campaign for uh, the Academy Awards?
1: I say why not? Uh, It's that perfect blend that you don't get very often of a quality movie that resonates with audience to the tune of almost a billion dollars at this point. So I think it definitely makes sense for them to push for Oscars for this movie. Uh, One thing that kind of jumped out at me that is kind of strange is the Best Adapted Screenplay, which I find kind of interesting because it wasn't really adapted from any comic book. I guess maybe because the character, uh, you know, originally appeared in comics and it can't be considered an original screenplay. But there's no, you know, there's no, like, comic book source material that you can go to for the story and say, oh, yeah, it's based on that. So the Best Adapted Screenplay was kind of interesting. And I really love the idea that it is nominate that they want to nominate it for best original score because it is hands down the best score i've heard all year so i think as far as i'm concerned it is an absolute shoo-in for best (laughs) score in fact that was one of the things that jumped out to me about this movie almost more than anything else was how good the score was so i would definitely like to see that nomination
0: come through uh what do you think well uh i thought that all the categories it's offering itself up for are a perfect fit. But just to follow up on what you were saying about the score, what was the uh, the thing that really stuck for you, that, that really made the score stand out so much for you? Was there uh, the way that it was, you know, matched to the story we were watching on screen? Or was there some other compelling element? Or was it exactly? Because that's a really interesting point to bring up that not everyone mentions when it comes to the film.
1: Yeah,
0: I think it was how much of a mood setter it was for the film and
1: how kind of percussive it was, especially in during the climatic scenes of the movie. Uh, It just really helped to build tension and um, you felt the presence, but it wasn't overwhelming. It was just
0: like a, a perfect fit. I agree. Um, In fact, it's one of the reasons why actually, as I'm looking over this list so many other categories just make so much sense, the sound editing and the mixing and the yeah. way that there was like this tension that seemed to be almost playing out on every level within that film, whether it was the music, as you mentioned, and that that sort of rising quality as we were getting closer, the more tense action moments to makeup and hairstyling. Yeah, I definitely think it should get you know nominated for that, if not win whether it's for you know the Joker's final ensemble or all the other characters that we got to see. I mean, Robert De Niro as that, well, host, and so much can be said just about his attire and demeanor and how the way he was styled was able to carry off that effect so effectively. Everything about this seems like it's just a perfect match. It's just a question of how many of these will it take home and will the story at the end of the night be joker sweeps oscar i mean
1: (laughs) yeah my my just concern is the fact that the academy kind of looks down on superhero movies so that's i think is kind of the only thing it's got going against it even though obviously it wasn't your typical superhero movie it still has that kind of you know like you were saying that connection so i just hope that that doesn't make its chances a little bit harder
0: well, it's really interesting too. I, I think that's a really important point because it feels as though there's been this growing split even before the movie came out between comic book fans and non-comic book fans because of the way that Phillips and others were trying to portray and push this idea that this is not a comic book film. And that actually caused you know a little bit of pushback from those in the community who felt like, hey, let's not, you know, say comic book film like it's something ugly, derogatory, or derisive. And because of that, it's been a challenge that it's worked so hard in order to be identified as more than, or not just, or even avoid the categorization of superhero film that, you know, I almost, I'm, I'm wondering, did they do enough? Did they do what they said they needed to do? Or did they accomplish enough in the eyes of the, you know, the Academy and the voting press to get that through, especially on some of the awards that really seem to matter in the, the minds of kind of public opinion. And that's going to be an interesting question come uh, one of the awards, 92nd Academy Awards are February 9th, 2020. So we've got yeah, a little we bit should of
1: here. Generally, we hear the nominations either sometime in December or sometime in January. So we don't have all that long to wait to see
0: how that's going to play out. Yeah, Yeah, I feel like there's like like charting trajectory that people start to take on when it comes to other awards leading up to. I think it's like the Golden Globes and SAG and a few others that that sort of like cue in the public to where the general sort of consensus is going. I don't know. Then there's also been years where I'm like, wait a minute. I feel like they were completely wrong with that whole theorizing and some, you know, out of the left field selection ends up being the choice. That's kind of what makes... The Oscars, interesting to me, is
1: what does get nominated and what does end up winning, uh, you know, because there's always certain surprises that pop up when you're on, well, why, why, did that happen? Why was it that movie that got <laughs> that got nominated and not the other ones? Especially when you compare it to the Golden Globes.
0: Right. No, definitely. And of course, if we, you know, transition this into our next story, the uh, announcement that Joker is about to reach three huge box office milestones when it comes to its uh, overall earnings there's always that question of does something like that hurt or help a cause or a campaign like the Joker is making clearly for the Oscars um, there were three announced I mean you can you can go ahead and, and pick your favorite you know does this does any one of those mean anything specific to you or does it overall just mean, hey, this is what happens when something just has momentum and it continues to push, push, push and surpass everything that kind of came before it. Uh,
1: I I think that with Spider-Man 3, uh, you know, it just did outdo Spider-Man 3. I think that beyond factoring in inflation, I think that Spider-Man 3 came out in a time where superhero culture wasn't necessarily such a big driver of, uh, you know, of culture. Um, you know, so I I think that that it was just a little bit before that time where things really took off. Uh, and I think in terms of, um, it was, it was a man of steel, um, that, that too, I think that that was the first DC movie outside of the, of the, the Nolan trilogy. So it had to prove itself, And the kind of brooding Superman kind of turned people off just enough for it not to go over that edge. And with Spider-Man Homecoming, that too was kind of like I I think one thing that took it over the the, the superhero movies, especially Marvel movies, over the edge was Infinity War. Mm -hmm. And um, that came out before Infinity War. So it didn't have that drive of people wanting to know exactly what's happening next. Gotcha. Um, and as far as the movie itself, it's just it's unstoppable because, like, you know, it's, it's one of those things where people love it. Critics love it. And it's just it's really captured that uh, that's Tempest in a teacup kind of moment in the world where it really,
0: really resonates. Well said, sir. Tempest in a teacup. I like it. I'll take it. And if you don't mind, let's keep my cup of tea hot. Especially to our good friend, Mr. Steve J. Ray, not able to join us. I'm sure he enjoys a cup that's hot (laughs) over one that's cold. And for Kelly, who can't be with us, if the weather is even, you know, as bad as I'm hearing over on that opposite coast from me. Well, yes, you always want to have that hot cup of tea. A tempestuous one. that, That I find to be very intriguing. Um, Overall, it, it feels as though this is just a lead up to the sort of series of awards conversations that we'll be having about the Joker. And a nice thing is, even though it's not technically a superhero film, it does allow us to tie so smoothly. Thank you again to our editor, Josh, into our next story, which is the announcement that Matt Reeves has confirmed that a rumor about Jeffrey Wright is official and he will be playing our very own james gordon in the upcoming the batman i think this is something that can be talked about a number of ways brad what was your take my friend
1: i think it's perfect perfect casting uh he's a great actor he's one of my favorite actors everything he is in he, he's just amazing and if you haven't seen the first shaft movie it's worth seeing just for him and i think that was the the movie that introduced me to him and that that and Bosquet that came out like in the 90s but he's just such a great actor and he can really have that moral compass that the character needs and gotham needs and the batman stories need i think he, I, I think he's gonna gonna do a great job i think it's perfect casting what do you think
0: i'm happy to echo those sentiments i'm a big fan of what i've seen jeffrey wright do i really feel that he provides that great sense of Cerebral. You know, someone who is thinking and they're thinking not just because they know that it's important to dwell. It's because they're thinking about things in the present, in the past, in the future. And then it's almost like he has that sort of strategic thing that Batman does so well and he would like to have. And if Batman wasn't around, the story could be all about James Gordon, his ability to keep things close to his chest, deal with a corrupt police department and still find a way to you know, come out on top. And I think there's something about that quiet, cool thoughtfulness, the ability to convey so much before you even speak a word, or to allow a pregnant pause to just carry a lot of weight, knowing that the character who's about to speak, whatever they're going to say, isn't said flippantly, isn't just tossed out there. He doesn't, He doesn't just rush to whatever he's going to say. He has something to say every time, and there's a meaning behind it. And I really feel like Jeffrey Wright's going to, you know, convey that and portray that. The one thing I'm really intrigued to see that I've never seen from him before, and in more recent stories, it's something I've really enjoyed, is the idea of the physicality of James Gordon. Um, It's been shown in a few animated. It was more often something that you might see in the comics, and I'm curious to see how it could potentially make it on the big screen. But there's been a few moments where James Gordon feels like he has to hold back when he's going up against a Green Beret or a Special Forces former soldier because he knows just how good he really is. And that would be an interesting thing to see if they tap into it Mm -hmm. all. Otherwise, when it comes to Jeffrey Wright, what he can do on screen and how he can convey that intelligence is something that's really always impressed me. And casting him as a James Gordon just seems like just a brilliant stroke, just really wise. (laughs) um it sounds like we're both on the same page so you know it's easy to just gush 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 but there's more news out there and we don't want to hold you up because there's so much more to talk about especially with this slew of revelations the newest of which would be the announcement from wonder woman 1984 and new footage that hints at steve trevor's fate according to this one he is or is not still around what was your take on this one,
1: Brett? Uh, I think he'll still be around. Um, I, I'm just curious on how they're going to bring him into it, because from my understanding of the article, uh, you, you couldn't really tell if it was, you know, that he had survived, but they think he has. So it's, it's um, but I'm sure that I'm sure that he will. But it does bring into mind that where does this fit in the continuity? Because I've heard. Um, and maybe you can correct me here Mm -hmm. that that 1984 kind of takes place in a way that the first movie never really happened it's kind of like a fresh start Um, and if that's the case then it would be easy to bring him back in some way so um, I I guess I I guess my question is what do you think about it and and (laughs) do you have any insight?
0: For me, it's really difficult to take a lot from this story. I feel like overall, it wants to let us know that it's essentially, you know, going to play with that sort of ambiguity and that the ideas suggested are that initially he is just sort of like a dream and a memory. But then later, while engaged in a fight, reportedly, you know, she uses the lasso to protect him. So... How that's going to play out, what I think might happen is that in some way it's suggested that, you know, he's just a memory and that in some other way he's able to make an appearance. But I really feel that they're going to have to either a follow the example that you suggested, which is to simply not talk about. This idea or B, come up with some amazing science fiction, fantasy, (laughs) something or else or other where you go. All right. If I tilt my head sideways and squint, maybe. But really, I, I think this is an interesting twist to toss out there because I feel like it would be even more compelling to not have Steve come back and to deal with that idea of memory. Because if they're including it in this, like they describe uh, in this shot, at least as it's reported by IGN, then, okay, how is this how is this not relatable? Um, And how is this possible for her to have this memory if the first one never happened? So, you know what I mean? It feels like there's a great deal of mystery. And I like that creates a lot of intrigue for me. And I'm always a fan of, you know intrigue but it it makes it harder to speak with any uh definity i guess is the word i'm looking for when it comes to you know what it is that we're actually talking about because these suggestions feel like hints almost like one of these stories that's rumors like we were just talking about with uh you know the james gordon casting for a while it was just a rumor and now it feels like okay we can actually talk about it because it's real this wonder woman steve trevor story still feels like there's enough rumor to the quality that it's hard to talk about. Right. And I think we'll have a lot more to say once we see the first trailer
1: in December. You know, I, I'm sure that this will give us some kind of insight into what's up with, the, with Steve Trevor's character.
0: Yeah. I'm hopeful that we'll, we'll have a greater understanding and we'll get a chance to understand just a little bit more. Of course, the article does a great job of reminding us that Wonder Woman 1984 will be coming out June 5th, 2020. How soon we can anticipate, hope, or expect a uh, trailer for it. Well, I mean, Super Bowl is not a bad time right before Christmas. Whoa, is a no, no, no,
1: no. Oh, oh, sorry. sorry to jump in um, real quick. Uh, we know when we're going to see the trailer. Uh, it's going to be in December uh, at the Brazil, uh, the Comic-Con in Brazil. Brad, thanks for
0: reminding stay. me. There it is. Yeah, That's right. Yeah. You, you yeah. And, about uh, it so time.
1: hopefully, <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. So hopefully soon. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We had talked about how at the Brazilian one, we were going to get a chance to finally see that. And I would have just blown on by blah, blah, blah. I've totally forgotten. <laughs> Brad, way to catch me. Thank you, sir. <laughs> okay. Hey, so well. <laughs> we know when we've got the trailer, which means we'll have that nice six month sort of, you know, wanting, waiting hoping for more sneak peeks. So sometime in December, we'll hopefully have a chance to talk more about it. That's if the trailer actually shows our boy, Steve, I'm still remembering all those details when we first chatted about that sort of 1984 mall scene that, that just seemed to be, you know, such an eye catching moment for those who saw the trailer back at that comic-con. So, Hmm. All right. Thank you. And if you're not quite sure what we're talking about, Go back to last episode. There was a whole conversation that clearly Brad remembers much better than I. Brad, thank you, my friend. You uh, you saved us really well. There. <laughs> We're going to go ahead and shift gears, slip right into the TV and streaming news. And for that, we've got a little bit of history repeating with the announcement that Superman and Lois TV series is currently in development at the CW. I was a huge fan of Lois and Clark in the 90s. It showed me a a different take. And we recently mourned the passing of the uh, former Pa Kent and the actor who portrayed him in that series. So this announcement of a retelling or a a new take on that classic relationship seems like a smart move in my mind. Brad, what's your take, my friend? I think uh, I think it's it's cool. I think that
1: I don't think that we would be talking about this if if the Superman and Lois that they introduced in Supergirl weren't so well received, I think that people liked them enough and the chemistry between them enough to say, Hey, let's have a spinoff. And I think there's some really uh, cool area where they can overlap uh, with some cool crossovers between, uh, between the two shows. So uh, yeah, I don't think this is surprising. Uh, And I I like to see CW doing all these shows. I'm, I'm all for it because generally the quality has been pretty high. So uh, yeah, I, w- I would have high hopes for the show. I'm glad to see it come together.
0: What do you I'm think? certainly intrigued. Yeah, I think this is a great idea. And clearly, there's been a, a lot of response. I'm still, every once in a while, just sort of like, you know, shocked with the idea that I, I recognize the uh, current Superman from back in his days when he was a child actor in one of my, my favorite movies from uh, late 90s, early 2000s. And, and just sort of smiling at that part. But I have the fondest memories of the fact that there was a lighthearted take that, that was possible with Lois and Clark. And I feel that because of the nature of the CW, we have that opportunity to show that with this new series. But also I'm intrigued to see how much it could potentially borrow from the current Lois Lane comic series. Because one thing I've really enjoyed about, say, Supergirl is the fact that it's had an interesting ability to keep its finger on the pulse of the public and to present ideas that are very similar to ones that we're currently facing in real life in many ways echoing the news it, it reminds me of the uh i think it was like law and order one of those crime process procedural rip shows where it always headlines. yeah right you remember that it would sit it with <laughs> yeah. like a story ripped from the headlines you were like <laughs> wow that's so wow interesting how to you know play it out but it's something that I feel that Supergirl has been able to do without having to add that catchphrase for any of its upcoming previews, and yet still really present a lot of challenging ideas, and, and do so in a very intelligent way to not just show that there's a perfect answer, but that the complications are actually part of what's re- you know required to work through if you actually want to get to solutions. And there's a possibility here with Superman and Lois to touch on those things, which I've been a huge fan from for issue one of the current Lois Lane series, that and Jimmy Olsen. I think the things they're doing with those books are just so brilliant. But what Lois Lane has done with sort of sticking the finger into the mud of some of the things that a lot of people hear on the news but don't like to talk about in public, and this this series has done that. And there's a real opportunity to see some of that play out. When it comes uh, to this new upcoming Superman and Lois series. So I loved seeing, you know, a retelling of something I, I really enjoyed from before and a new fresh take. Where this could go is something I'm looking forward to talking about in upcoming episodes right here on the DC Comics News podcast. And it's not the only thing in TV streaming that's going to be something we'll be talking about probably for at least the rest of the fall. I'm talking about the announcement that uh, Emily Brett Rickards is going to be returning to the Arrow series for the upcoming finale. There's been a lot of emotional buildup as we get closer to the end of the final season of the Arrow. How did this announcement add, take away, do anything particular for you, Brad, as we get closer to that finale?
1: I think they had to make that happen. I don't think it, it would have felt somehow lacking if she wasn't in it. Uh, She was such an important, integral part of the show. Um, You know, we talked about moral compasses, and she was definitely one for Arrow. And uh, her whole presence in the show added so much to it. So it would be a shame not to, you know, not to see her again in the finale to say goodbye. So, yeah, I'm glad to see that that was, that that's happening for sure.
0: I agree as well. I've been intrigued ever since the end of last season when it seemed to suggest that there was more to her story despite the announcement she would be stepping away. And given what I feel will end up being part of her role in the upcoming crisis crossover, it's not a big surprise for me, but it, it just seems like one of those things that makes sense as, have you been watching arrow, by the way, just not to put you on. The I side.
1: I'm, I'm, I'm a little behind. Um, okay. Because I, I I'm because there's, it's been on so much longer than the other shows. So, um, but it's, i'm juggling it I'm trying to get caught up as much as i can
0: sure well you also do a couple of reviews for a couple of shows right i want to yeah. say yeah lightning or yeah no. although i've fallen behind on black lightning i'm kind of transitioning <laughs> over to uh to
1: Watchmen. but you know like i was saying before we started recording this is such a busy time of year for me that it was uh you know it's hard for me to to uh to, t- t- crazy it seems to write those two reviews a week um, but hopefully, hopefully over the next, you know, between now and Christmas and all that, I'll, I'll have some time to get caught up on all that for
0: sure. Okay. Yeah. It's just felt like it's been an interesting take, uh, for the episodes I've seen, I think I'm maybe one behind, I'm either one behind on Arrow or Black Lightning. I think it's Black Lightning actually. I'm one episode behind. Mm-hmm. Um, but with Arrow, I have really enjoyed. And if you're watching as well and want to respond, please let me know what you think. I've really enjoyed the fact that there's been this looking back to a lot of Oliver's past through the mission that he's currently on for the Monitor in an attempt to have some kind of impact, whatever it might be, on the crisis. And what's interesting also is that I think it's going to be one of the the key factors that reveal some of the bigger parts of the crisis. For example, there was some teasing over the summer about the announcement of the anti-Monitor and how that's going to be portrayed and how that's going to look and I feel like there's already been some moral ambiguity being tossed around with Arrow. So it's, it's interesting to see how they're going to the, lead us to it. And I feel like overall, the, the part of Felicity smoke is going to play a major factor. So much of what Arrow's been doing, especially in these last two seasons, and as a teaser for this, this final season, has been about what he's willing to do in order to prevent the crisis and save his family. And adding her to the emotional mix just seems like an important thing to show in this final episode, which no doubt will be dealing with this finale and and what it is that Arrow's going to have to do if he's trying to keep his promise. Should be an interesting experience and one that fans will certainly enjoy no matter how it ends up playing out. I personally think Felicity's role will will be one that, you know, plays an important role and also i think her character will will have a lot to do with how arrow and the monitor and so much about this story kind of comes to a close now thankfully we do have the announcement that not all good things are coming to a close and i'm talking about the word that pennyworth has been picked up for a second season on epics full disclosure i have not able to see pennyworth because i've been trying to figure out where it's going to be at in addition to epics i'm hoping it'll be picked up for uh you know older episodes on one of the other streaming services i currently have because it's getting harder and harder to figure how i'm going to stretch the net to get everything included that i want to see without subscribing to 50 new channels uh brad have you been able to keep up with this what's your take i mean i'm excited for the announcement but have you had a chance to watch yeah i
1: I, I saw the first episode and really liked it so I, I'm i glad and I think it deserves to be just from that first episode by the way uh, that it deserves to be renewed and I, I like that they mentioned that it was a big hit for them so not only was it good enough to be renewed but they actually considered it a hit so that's good and that's very uh it makes me very optimistic for maybe a third and even fourth season down the road so you know it, and it, I think it it fills kind of an interesting space in that like comic show in the whole 60s spy thing and it's something not only we haven't seen um, from a comic book show, but we haven't seen that type of show in a while. So um, I, I think it's very very cool that it's been renewed for a second season and I'm excited to get caught up.
0: Well, I, I love that you were able to get so much just from that first episode. I mean, that, that really says a lot. And also how much that informed your desire to see a second season of it, you know, be announced and know that that's something that fans can continue to look forward to. And I also love that you pointed out what, what I think is probably really critical with this show is that Epix has said not only is it a big hit, but it doubled the audience viewership for all of the shows that came before it. I mean, that's yeah. a huge impact to think yeah. about. You know, we've seen things like Must See TV and a lot of other programming that were designed with one express purpose. And that was to, you know, either be the the build-in audience that can generate or uh, benefit from, as well as the follow-up show that comes afterwards that can take advantage of people that might stick around for that other show. I mean, that's a a really impressive bargaining chip to be able to put on your TV lineup. And it sounds like they're making a smart investment by getting season two.
1: Mm-hmm. It's just, it's so cool to be around in this time where not only are there so many comic related shows out there, but so many of them are good. I think that generally quality wise, there's more good than bad um,
0: being produced, which is so nice to see. And this is just another example of that for sure. Certainly. It reminds me of that great, uh, for me, that great sort of family guy cutaway that they do where they're showing kind of a turn of the century, Peter Griffin. And he says, bully, bully, isn't this a great time to be alive? Come on now, look around. And I just have to (laughs) chuckle because, you know, based on what your desires are and what you're looking for in life, there's what's considered to be the best time to be alive. You know, if. If you were looking at a specific time, perhaps, you know, the age of the cassette, well, yeah, 70s into the 80s into the early 90s is a great time to be alive, man, like, yeah. But uh, I really feel like for, you know, fans, I I think you really hit the nail on the head there with this idea that there are so many great properties to enjoy, so many great experiences to have and so many places to have them and to enjoy them, whether you're on the DC Universe app, your local television streaming app, uh, epics uh whatever it might be you can turn on and click on to a great property that just makes you want to come back for more and maybe explore what else is out there and if you're already a fan well you know pick your pleasure which one do you really want to enjoy today because sometimes when i pull up my dvr on hulu i'm like ah what do I feel like today? I've got a couple Supergirl, I've got a Flash, I've got a Green Arrow, I've got a Black Lightning, I've got a Batwoman. Like I've got so many great choices. Yeah. And the fact that we've got, as I think you pointed out really well, the 60s era opportunity with pettyworth a, a chance to go in there and kind of see some of that classic style that I always loved from you know, things like Get Smart or uh, The Avengers, or not yeah, The Mission Avengers, possible. but exactly mission impossible great one there uh the man from uh man from uncle stuff like that you know yeah this great sort of like spycraft intrigue and man i mean is it just me or from everything i saw from the trailers in every preview they had such great style like just man i don't know there's something about it um i even saw a tinker taylor soldier spy and i thought to myself Gosh, look at the style back then. So cool. If you if you get a chance, check out the uh,
1: Man from U.N.C.L.E. movie that came out just a few years ago. Uh, Oh, I loved it. It Yeah, that was so much better than I think anybody expected it to be.
0: Yeah, and I really thought it was a great opportunity to see two actors that I really enjoy. uh, You know, whether it's Henry Cavill or uh, oh, good Army Army Hammer um you know just what a great casting comparison i thought they were perfect they were like the same size they had great wit um and i love that they put all these different spins on the characters where whatever your conceptions were in preconceptions they were quickly challenged and that just made for even more you know fun storytelling
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah exactly
0: uh thank you man thanks for bringing that up too really appreciate it um sorry did i cut you off Nope, nope. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Uh, Now, when it comes to the fact that we get to see so much more great things on television, like Pennyworth, there are also other examples within TV and streaming where we are getting the chance to see great things that we love from the comic books come to life on television. And one of the newest announcements is a character, a villain no less, from Young Justice, who will be making their appearance soon. On the CW's Supergirl uh, Nick Sagar has been cast to play Rip Roar In the fifth season of Supergirl According to uh, TV Line And will make his reported debut In this Sunday's episode Dangerous Liaisons Did you have any take on this Brad? Whether the villain from Young Justice Or seeing it come to life on Supergirl Or anything pertaining? Um, I... I'm not really familiar with the character, and I was curious if
1: you uh, if you were. Um, it, it seems like he might be like a one episode type of villain, not necessarily a big bad. But you know, then again, I'm not so familiar with the character, so uh, I'm not sure. But you know, I, I I like bringing in characters from the books. Even if it's something I'm not familiar with, I like, to, I like to see it. And a lot of times when that happens, it'll, it'll force me to look up the character and learn more about them, which is always kind of fun.
0: So what was your take? Well, my take was that, one, I don't know who the character is. But given all that, what really intrigued me was the possibility that this could be opening up a doorway for some really great future stories. Because as I read through it, I was like, OK, who's Rip Roar? And then later, one of the sentences calls him Rip Road. And I'm like, okay, who are we talking about here? I don't understand anymore. Now, the description, a multi-armed, technologically enhanced villain who goes toe-to-toe with Kara, that's not a lot for me to get into. I've seen her go up against some pretty cool, crazy villains. The, the one from last season with like the snakehead thing, the parasite you know, alien. Do you know the one I'm talking about? with the- Yeah. That was like, okay, well, I can kind of see a lot of stuff happening now. And and ever since they've brought in some other characters like that with some really cool alien powers. But what really stuck with me is the idea that from the description that War is born on Apocalypse but accidentally transported to Earth. And my brain just started like a mother box. Ping, 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 ping. I was like, right. oh, dude, Apocalypse. You know, Ooh. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I love that idea, too. And that did kind of grab me. And then. I kind of thought, well, they they can just change that origin. It doesn't have to be from Apocalypse, so they don't necessarily yeah. have to bring that whole side into it. But yeah, I mean, I, I agree that would be that would be very cool if they did. Quite frankly, I mean, if they did that in the right way, that could be leading to a big another crossover event next year after Crisis, where maybe they could fight, you know, Darkseid or something, you know. And, and so that would be interesting to see if if
0: they kind of leave hints for that for sure. Yes. In fact, it's one of the things that that caught my attention because it then also reminded me what a big part Darkseid ended up playing in Crisis on Infinite Earths. There was that one where they finally negotiate with him to add his power. And and even with it, you know, there's that, you know, great moment where he's like, I'm not even sure if this will be enough. And you're like, whoa, Darkseid. Oh, man. You know what I would (laughs) Now,
1: I think that Anti Monitor is too big of a villain to try to squeeze Darkside into that. Darkside is too epic. But what would be cool is if, if at the end they did kind of some kind of hidden, not necessarily a post-credit scene, but like a, a, a hint of Darkside in in some way. That would be huge. Yeah, just talking about it even makes me more excited for this Crisis <laughs> crossover that's coming. <laughs> exactly. I would like, love you know, to see that.
0: Conceptually, it could really do a lot of things. So I love the idea that, yeah, well, they could change the background, the possibility of taking Rippor and, and, and doing that, just that hint of Apocalypse and maybe show us some some sneak peeks. I, I love that idea, especially because, you know, we always need to keep raising the level of challenge. We need to up the ante when it comes to, you know, who these characters are taking on and we've shown that they're able to handle the dominators. So let's see what's next. It's the monitor and the anti-monitor and the coming crisis on infinite earth, but there's gotta be something after that. And like you said, dark side's too big to fit into this storyline. He'd have to have one all his own. And that's a huge cast of characters and a lot of fun. I, I would really enjoy seeing play out. So, We'll have to see if there's enough hints given to us on the uh, Sunday episode of Supergirl and whether or not we think that's something that might happen in the future. However, when it comes to far-flung space adventures, we no longer will have to look much further than HBO Max with the announcement that Green Lantern, Strange Adventures, and DC Superhero High will all be appearing as series on HBO Max. Wow, this just sort of took my mind and put it on a top and started it spinning. Brad, what was your response to this announcement?
1: Yeah, I, I'm excited for all of these shows, but I think um, I think the Strange Adventures uh, is the one that's going to grab me the most right out of the gate. Um, just the way they kind of have it framed, like um, uh, normal people living in a superhero world and kind of those kind of uh, stories would be very interesting and you know back to the what characters can they bring into that world i think it would be kind of cool to see all the different characters they could use because it said that it will feature characters from all across the dc canon and it will explore the close-ended stories about the intersecting lives of ordinary humans and superhumans so that could be a, a, a twist that we really haven't seen before. So I think that is really cool. And I know that there are so many Green Lantern fans out there that are just craving a good adaption, especially right now when DC movies are really popular, that Green Lantern deserves his due. So it's I, I'm happy to see him coming back in some kind of way as far as like the live action um, adaption, whether it's TV or movies for sure. So, yeah, it's like I said, man, it's a great time to be a (laughs) comics fan, man, for sure.
0: It really, really is. I mean, there are so many great things that are possible. One with the the Strange Adventures idea. Um, I mean, I I like the idea of what we're able to see of Adam Strange when it came to uh, the Krypton series. That was a really fun take on him. That was, you know, uh, a bit of a. Did you get a chance to see that at all? Were yeah. You, uh, and and I thought kind of making him a bit of a punk, a bit a bit of kind yeah, of a screw up too. compared to this just like classic superhero in that very iconic outfit. There's something about that that style of of you know jetpack and things like that that when they actually showed it on Krypton, I was like, finally, okay, yeah, I'm starting to get a little bit more of that you know Adam Strange feeling here. But, um, you know, this, this idea of it showing up not only in potential connection with the uh, the 2020 comic series by Tom King, Mitch Gerrards, uh, Evan Shaner, um, but also how we can now, like you said, see a, a really fun and hopefully fan rewarding take on Green Lantern. It's not something they've had a chance to enjoy. You know, I really struggle after i saw the green lantern movie it was one of those things where i kept seeing the stumbling blocks instead of you know the surprises or or the good points and as you'd mentioned some of those problems were things that we saw hinder products like man of steel even before that superman returns and and seeing those things it reminds me of a Thankfully, my wife doesn't listen as often to this, but an ex-girlfriend of mine, we went and saw X3 and X-Men 3 really disappointed both of us. Where afterwards, uh, the ex-girlfriend says to me, she goes, that could have been a lot better, couldn't it? And I said, yeah, really could have. You know, and it was just this recognition between the two of us, like you had a great cast of characters. You had all the money in the world, and you did that. And after such a great movie preceding it, where X2 is probably, in my opinion, one of oh. the standouts for that, that trilogy. Yeah. So, you know, knowing all of that and, and seeing where the struggles really existed within Green Lantern just made you want for something more for what it's actually capable of. So I really thought you really touched on something great, that this is a chance through HBO, which is shown, I think more recently, I finally got a chance to see a first episode of Watchmen what they're willing to do in order to make a DC property feel real. And I think they can bring that to life with Green Lantern, even though they didn't really reveal any series. I have heard some speculation about all that fun stuff. You know, is it going to be Kyle Rayner and they're saving, you know, Hal Jordan and Jon Stewart for the big screen? Is it going to be this or that? I really don't care, but if it's a great Green Lantern story, I really think we could see some other fun characters who maybe deserve a chance to pop on the screen, Jessica Cruz, Baz just to, you know, throw some names out there. I'm yeah. not saying we're going to go all the way to Gnort, but you know, <laughs> it, <laughs> maybe an appearance by Chip in a fun story. What, I mean, what, come on. What's the cat? Uh there was a green lantern cat. Is it the red lantern now? Well, yes, yes, he became the red lantern. I forget I but I always like that character, too. <laughs> yeah, the name's escaping me. Although, recently, he's made a fun appearance in Justice League Odyssey. If you're not following Oh, nice.
1: Story, yeah, I've been wanting, least, I've
0: been meaning to catch up on that as well. I'm just going to recommend it and toss it out there yeah. right now. Not only yeah. what they're doing with him as a side character, but Jessica Cruz's story has really taken to life. I Nice. Mean, it's nice. Man, uh, let me know when you're caught up, because I'd love to chat Yeah, we'll do. Because the stuff they've been doing, I've just been thinking to myself, like, finally a a new twist on a green lantern story because we know the rules so well and what they're doing with her it's huge man it's it's really huge and if you're out there and you know what i'm talking about dude tag me just you know tag it at dc comics and say hey seth i'm reading justice league odyssey totally know what you're talking about can't wait to talk more with brad when he catches up it's (laughs) it's gonna be so much fun because that's awesome and now for just a final note um, on this story was the announcement of dc superhero high as it's pointed out it's not even mentioned whether or not it's dc superhero girls you know franchise connection but they've done some amazing things with that series they've really shown how you can set these characters in a way that feels very inviting very open and not closed off by this weight of continuity or history in order to, to get connected to the characters. And that seems like a huge win-win, not only for HBO, but Disney, and for a newer spectrum of the viewing audience. Right. And yeah. that's my little <laughs> yeah. Um. And, and I'm going to go ahead and say that that's a great way for us to really touch on something that's important, which is a follow-up story from DC Universe, letting subscribers know that HBO Max is Fred, not foe. Now, that could be hard to consider based on the stories we just told you about and the upcoming products that are going to be coming out on HBO Max. So did this story set you at ease in any way, Brad? Did it give you the sort of sense that, OK, these guys aren't just screwing around and seeing where the, you know, the, the scales fall and that's who they're going to go with? It's actually a plan? No, no. Oh. I think the I think the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I
1: think that right now they have every. Um, every intention to keep DC universe alive and going. And, uh, but I think really it's going to be a financial decision when it, when the dust settles once HBO max is released and how many people subscribe and, you know, and all that, and does it take away from the DC universe subscribers? You know, I I just think that it's too early to tell if that's going to be a reality or not. I would love to see it happen um even if even if they took all their new original programming that was on dc universe moved it to hbo max and just kept those classic shows that they have now i would still keep subscribing to dc universe for those but i i just think i i I just think we don't know how that's all going to shake out yet i just think it's too early to tell
0: i do like the way you set up the uh, the great quote there, you know, the road to pave the road to hell is paved with good intentions. It it usually is, and there is often a desire to try and do both things as well as possible. Very rarely does it succeed, and I feel that unless there is a very comprehensive plan, a very clear cut methodology, that yeah, it's going to just be something where we're just going to let these things play out, and at some point the numbers are going to shake. And we're going to see that either we can keep both or one of them's got to go. Now, I am intrigued by the idea that with HBO Max, you do have an opportunity to sort of go in an adult direction with certain properties and still leave kid-friendly options, younger audience options, less serious, more, well, to compare the two. I mean, HBO and CW are, are somewhat very different just because... One has to appear on uh, network channels and the other is a paid subscription service that is able to exist without those sort of limitations. But I I wonder if that might be an example that could be used for DC Universe and HBO Max, maybe splitting between the two or just knowing that with HBO Max, you're going to get the higher budget. I'm not sure how either of those could shake out. But as this DC Universe story points out, they clearly are putting out, you know, continued product whether it's the harley quinn animated doom patrol season two they've got all those things planned for dc universe as you pointed out though will they stay there it's probably going to be the biggest question new properties potentially going to hbo max older ones staying on the dc universe and maybe a change in subscription plans or a combo pack if you subscribe to both they'll they'll have to make it work because in some way they've made a commitment to both and I really think the degree of disappointment you're going to feel from letting either one go is is going to be too huge to potentially recover from. Um, again, another one of those rants. Brad, you don't have to comment on anything I just said because sometimes it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. move it on. Yep. 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 So.
1: <laughs> well, I, you know, it's funny because you brought up something that I was going to mention, too, is that maybe there is some way to bundle them. Like, OK, if you get HBO Max and you can have. Uh, DC universe at a discounted rate, and that I would that I would be so excited for if that yeah you know, if that's seems way like something so there are know. options I, yeah I'd like to see, I, I just would like to see Warner Brothers and DC fight for the survival of it you know to 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 make the argument for its continued existence so yeah. you know
0: I really so. feel like there's something there I, I just feel like there has to be enough of a commitment on both sides to make it work and um sure I mean. If both if both the apps are five ninety nine, you know, and you get uh HBO Max, why can't you just get, you know, DC Universe for two ninety nine instead of five I don't know, however you want to shake it out. It should seem like a cool bundle. Yeah, yeah, and definitely worth it. Okay, now, I think that
1: they came out with a price point for HBO Max that it was gonna be what was it fourteen or fifteen dollars a month, which seems incredibly high. So Yeah. To make that higher price point worth it, maybe they can include something like DC Universe. So, you know, we'll 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 see. Because right now, it's, these streaming wars are just getting underway. And the
0: next year is going <laughs> to be very, very interesting. Yeah, it, it just seems like everybody is about to enter the fray, which is one of my favorite comic book phrases. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's time for me to enter the fray. It just feels mm-hmm. like everyone's making that decision. And they all want to say they either took a shot or that, you know, that they ended up winning it. Uh, how that's really going to, you know, play out, uh, I'm, I'm not too sure. But we, we've also got a feeling that, you know, clearly there is no lack of momentum. Because HBO Max also recently announced that they're expecting to produce major DCU films. Um, you know, clearly Marvel Studios has made their commitment and connection with the Disney Plus streaming TV shows like Falcon, Winter Soldier, Hawkeye, things like that. But this is a variety article that says that Warner Brothers could be banking on DC feature films and that HBO Max is expected to lean on Warner Brothers to supply it with exclusive content. Um, seems like a really interesting twist to just make us all go, OK, what's happening? Because now I don't get anything. <laughs> Brad, what do you think about this sort of, you know, addition to, as I said it, the fray?
1: You know, it's just a matter of finding time to absorb all this content. <laughs>
0: um,
1: really, I like the idea of them coming up with these feature films. Uh, you know, one thing they said that they'll have the budget of a normal feature Hollywood movie, and that might that kind of worries me because I think that if they that that's that's banking a lot on these movies, and if they had a more realistic budget they could have some more creative freedom and more fun with them. So uh, that that makes me a little nervous. But um, yeah, I mean, I think the, I, I'm all for it. Uh, why not? And maybe it'll give them an opportunity to take risks. Maybe we will see something like a, a Booster Gold movie or something like you would
0: never expect to see. So yeah, why not? Why not? Yeah, it's an interesting thing to wonder about because I know that there's also – this growing trend in which films are being released in theaters but then also streaming at the same time on certain properties and that is going to put an emphasis on those properties potentially investing that large you know movie scale budget and that consideration that while it might not be going directly to theaters or only to theaters that if there's enough numbers in the viewing audience from your app subscription, that they're worth that kind of investment in quality. Uh, because that's one thing that I've, I'm intrigued by is, yeah, how, how can you make that commitment financially that you're going to have these feature film-size budgets unless you know you're getting the return from somewhere? And it has to be this, this possibility that something that they know they're doing gives them the leeway to make that happen. Otherwise, like you said they're really gonna tie themselves down with it. Because some of those properties that they were talking about, like a great Booster Gold movie and things like that, I would love to see. But if it's hamstrung by needing to meet all these requirements on a big budget scale, plenty of movies with a lot bigger name appeal than Booster Gold have never made it to the screen for just that reason. So this will be an interesting one that, that I'm curious about. But then again, We have seen where a persistent spirit or character finds a way to persevere. I am talking about Harley Quinn and an announcement from DC Universe and the creators to invite the press to spoil the show. Um, Essentially, DC Universe has offered reviewers early access to episodes of Harley Quinn, the animated series, But it's doing so in a very unique way, and a lot of people found it to be a surprise. I don't want to spoil the secret right away. Brad, what was your take on this, and how do you want to share it? I
1: think it's kind of funny. I think they're trying to be just as over the top and kind of punk rock as the show is by (laughs) giving everybody, the, you know, giving the press the whole season and saying, go ahead and spoil away, spoil away. <laughs> so it, I I I I I think at the end of the day they just it's kind of like a marketing another marketing detail and uh it's kind of funny and I'll be curious to see if if um some of these reviewers do take that to heart and try to spoil it but I kind of have a feeling they won't but we'll see it's a kind of an interesting experiment
0: yeah I'm intrigued and I'm just going to quote verbatim As the press release stated, lastly, and this is of the utmost important, please, please, please make sure you spoil whatever the F word you want reads the press release. Seriously, we just want people to watch the show. So if you need to spoil something in a review, we don't give it S word. Get your spoiler on. Apparently, they also weren't worried about language being used to make this encouragement and suggestion. So maybe they just decided, you know what, we're not even going to worry about anything. Just have at thee and enjoy thyself. And if it works, clearly it's going to be recognized as something brilliant. Overall, I was just sort of intrigued by this really interesting approach. And as you said, a, a, a new marketing take that we just haven't seen quite as often before but then again i remember when suddenly dumping an entire season on a streaming platform for binging seemed like a rare or quirky idea and now i almost feel like it's the norm right like yeah. it, it wasn't that something where it was like episode by yeah. episode and then i think it was arrested development was the first one where they're like no nope, we're just dumping the whole season good luck to yep. you. and people yep. like had these crazy binging parties and yep. hey man people adapted <laughs> right <laughs> So uh, I don't know. I I, I think it's only going to work to their benefit. I don't think there's anything you really do to promote Harley Quinn that, you know, quirky just seems to work in her favor. So I'm sure it's going to work out to their benefit, just as the quality of the show, no doubt will. But it's a fun thing for us to go ahead and end our TV and streaming and go ahead and take an opportunity to have a quick pause. We need to allow for this ad break so that you find folks can go ahead and catch up on any of the things you might not be aware of out there in the DC world from DC Comics and all of the things we're looking to bring your way. Stay tuned afterwards. Brad and I will be going over the comic news stories that is the source for so much of what we love to talk about in movies and streaming. And then we'll go ahead and wrap things up with you again we'll be right back thanks for your patience and enjoy each and every one of those informative ads this is seth singleton from dc comics news here to tell you about the spinner rack each and every week dc comics publishes so many great books it can be hard to decide where to invest your time and money and that's where the spinner rack comes in The Spinner Rack is my honest attempt to rate, review, score the top five books from DC Comics each and every week. How can you listen? It's easy. All you have to do is go to your favorite platform, subscribe to DC Comics News Podcasts, and wait for the new episode to load up. Join me each and every week as I sift through the best from DC Comics and pick my top five books. Can't wait to share them with you and to hear your scores when you share them with us, right here on the DC Comics News Podcast. First, there was the DC Comics News Podcast. Then came The Spitter Rack. And now, the third show brought to you by the guys that brought you all that other stuff I just mentioned. I Am the Knight, a story about. Stories, a show celebrating Batman, the animated series, week by week, episode by episode, just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones, I am the night. Thanks for your patience and for coming back with us. I'm your host, Seth Singleton, here on the DC Comics News Podcast, joined by the always entertaining mr brad felicky brad thanks for coming back after that ad of course and we get a chance to dive into that one thing that brought us all here in the first place the comic book news that oh so familiar source where so much of the great things we get to experience in other media all stem from those colorful pages we grew up loving adoring and collecting maybe in healthy potentially unhealthy ways First story to lead off our comic news segment is the announcement that donate comic books and graphic novels for U.S. Armed Forces overseas and at home. I love a story whenever someone is talking about the idea of sharing media like this. And apparently this fifth annual John comic drive for service members is underway. Now, jaw In might be a name you recognize. I'm going to go ahead and let Brad fill in for that one if he's got information and then I'll go ahead and follow up. But John is a name you might have heard on this podcast before. Brad, what was your take on this great story?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jason Ninman is definitely a friend of the podcast. We had him on interview and talking about his uh, his book. So it's nice to see him popping back up in some news stories. This is a and it's a great cause really. I mean I'm sure that there's a lot of uh, service servicemen and women who read comics and when they're deployed, they can't really keep up. So in any small way to have that kind of avenue to get a hold of some something to read while they're over there is just great. And not only that, but it's also to the family. So if they have kids that are into comics, it's a good way for them to, to get their hands on some reading material. So uh, it's, a, it's a great cause. So if you live in the uh, L.A. area, please, please, uh, please donate
0: yeah thank you for uh, just sort of adding that in there about jason uh jason was a great <laughs> guest on the uh the episode that we had where we got a chance to talk about his book super soldiers and his recognition of the connection between just how many superheroes and some villains have their roots in the u.s armed forces and in that book i really enjoyed when he talked about just what a thing it was to know that there was great fresh reading material coming over whenever someone's family or a group would send over comic books, and how much that actually led to this renewed interest in this great material that can be a really healthy distraction from some of the events that are going on over there. Now, he gave us that soldier perspective, but Brad, I really appreciate that you also brought in the idea that Uh, This is also something that can be important for families over there, families with kids who might love just that extra little taste of home or maybe one of those encouraging, inspiring stories that we so often find in comics that can make the difference between dealing with a difficult time, a transition to a new place or anything else that might be going on that for some reason only comics can solve. You pointed out that this will be something that's available for anybody who is in the Los Angeles area and the chance to go ahead and provide whatever they can. I I did like the fact that it seems like this has been so far successful. According to the article, uh, Jason has helped send somewhere around 134,000. All right. You know, I'm just going to make it 135 because it starts (laughs) to get, I'm just rounding right here. 135,000 comic books to U.S. soldiers and their families. Um, For those of you who are in the L.A. area and you're listening to this, you can drop off any issues or donations to Collectors Paradise. um, Or you can even mail them in through November 30th. And there's some great uh, information about them and their uh, NoHo, I think that's North Hollywood, Arts District location. And... Those who donate 25 comics or more during that event will receive a free sketchbook from Bernard Cheng, Norm Ratman, Shar Jackson, or Brian Lopez. They even give a great website for you to get details about this. So if you want to check that out, that would be comic drive for service All one word comic drive for service Please go ahead and check that out if that's something you're able to commit and donate to. Again, Jason Inman is a guest we really enjoyed having on here. Love his perspective. Thank him again for his service and love the fact that he's able to make such a great commitment and give back. That's not the only thing in the comics news. That's just the first thing. Next on our list of stories is the announcement of Batman, who's teaming up with Dylan Dog. I'm going to say that one more time. Batman and Dylan Dog. If you're not quite sure, that's okay. When I first read that title, I had to scratch my head too and wonder if maybe I'd bumped it into something. Batman and Dylan Dog, a title featuring the two, will be kicking off a series of DC slash Italian comics in a crossover event. There's so much that I could go into on my own, but first I'm going to hand it over to Mr. Brad because you've also read the story. And I wanted to take your take on Batman, Dylan Dog, and this DC Italian Comics crossover.
1: I I love the idea that uh, these Italian characters are going to get some exposure uh, over on the U.S. side of things. I think they deserve it. And... Um, you, you know, we hear a lot about certain French characters and things like English characters, but Italian kind of gets left behind in ways. So this exposure is kind of really cool. So yeah, I really like it.
0: Yeah, I'm really intrigued by this as well. One of the things I really enjoyed was um, around this time last year, I was lucky enough to travel to visit family in Hong Kong with my wife. And while I was there, I made a point of wanting to go to a Hong Kong comic shop and have that experience. Well, while I was searching, I stumbled across this rich history of Hong Kong comic characters who have come to represent really iconic periods of Hong Kong's history and cultural references that were embodied by these characters and how they were able to be these really interesting figures. In fact, when you go there, there's this park that if you walk down it, they have all these statues and each one is a basically a life-size statue dedicated to one of these comic characters. They must have like 30, 35 of these out there. And it's everything from martial arts, warriors, loner characters, to a cool kind of James Bond 007 guy, to to something more familiar like Garfield and John or, or Ziggy. And it was really interesting. So... I was intrigued to discover that, and the announcement that we get a chance to understand and learn a little bit more about these Italian comics is just such a, a great approach. And I love that you mentioned that it's not something we would ordinarily be exposed to, because in the U.S., it's mostly the U.S. properties get, get all the attention. But coming to this event, you get the chance to check out not only Batman and Dylan Dog, but I believe it's Zabara's and the joker as well as maybe the chance to see if these are successful other crossovers and i'm really intrigued because i can't wait to see what these characters are like i'll be honest my understanding of their history or anything else related to them is very limited but the chance to see them matched up with familiar characters is a great way to gain that insight and also Experience them, you know, with that comparison to have as well. I, I think this is a really fun experience and a great way to just broaden the audience for those who might not be aware of just what's happening in Italian comics. Um, out of curiosity, Brad, do you keep up with comics in any other part of the world besides the U.S.? Sometimes I struggle just keeping up with the ones here.
1: Uh, yeah, not uh, uh, not as much as I would like. Um, but this is this is kind of interesting because this will give me an opportunity. To maybe do that, especially if it for some reason it takes off, it becomes hugely popular. That might give them a reason to release more Dylan Dog stories. Now, I do somewhere in my collection have a graphic novel like anthology of Dylan Dog stories. Really? Uh, And that was yeah. And that was
0: that was pretty good. But it's been it's been a while since I've read that. So uh, interesting. Okay. Do you remember anything about the character that that, was signature or worth noting? Well, he's kind of like a detective type, so it
1: would fit well in with the Batman thing, you know, those types of stories. So, yeah,
0: yeah, it should be. um, Yeah, it should be should be a good story. Yeah, that's really interesting. It reminds me also that when I was a kid, I would sometimes stumble across these comics that were so rare. And that I only saw when I was a child. And I didn't understand why I didn't come across them more often when I was older until I realized that they were actually not comics that had originated in the US. And I'm talking about things like Tintin or uh, right. Asterix the Gaul. And I was unaware of their origins. And then once I eventually understood why I couldn't get them, it's a little bit frustrating because they had been such a, a fun time in my life when I was young and, and discovered these comics that. While inviting because of their very simple format, had these great stories involved that really just hooked me. I mean, Rin, I mean, Tintin was just one of those ones where, as I read, I found myself going, "This is a comic book. This is like mystery and intrigue, and yeah. and, and, and you know, the guy's got a gun and what's going on here? It was it was such a great idea. So I, I love that you have this awareness of uh, Dylan Dog and the fact that. At least we're going to see two detectives teaming up in this series, and it could be a lot of fun. I mean, I have one of my favorite moments is Detective Chimp in a car with Batman, who looks horrified (laughs) at the idea that he has to be with Detective Chimp and that, you know, (laughs) might even have to rely on him. So there's some really fun potential here, and uh, I love that there's some history there, and thanks for that just sort of awareness like wow okay so two detectives and we could have some fun twists and maybe get a sense of that great italian comic style so should be a lot of fun now i'm looking forward to it even more and if you're like me well we both have mr brad felicky to thank for that yeah uh yeah he's humble he's generous what are you gonna do I, i just keep recording with the guy and i'm thankful every time he gets on with me um (laughs) moving things right into another story my pleasure my friend my pleasure it's easy to give good compliments to good people um steve and kelly when you're back on fear not we shall continue to shower you as we always do but in the moment we're still distracted by the fact that we like so many others have had a quick glimpse of the official dc history timeline I'm not sure how that's possible because I feel like the DC timeline is something that shifts, twists, and rewrites itself at its whim. But Dan Didio claims he's got the official one. And Brad, what was your take on this story and how official this timeline really
1: is? I think that um, (laughs) we talked a little bit about this before. I think the thing that, bugs me about it just a little bit is that it doesn't clear anything up for me it doesn't make anything necessarily clear but what it does do is kind of create an architecture moving forward and it makes me wonder what they have planned with this timeline like some maybe maybe this bigger thing that Scott Snyder's been hinting about after moving off of Justice League maybe it has something to do with that so I I I do have a feeling that you know in the weeks and months ahead as more news comes out that this timeline might
0: be very significant moving forward i'm hopeful of that i'm actually intrigued to see how it could be presented because i think there's this growing awareness that the dc timeline has not been one solid thread not one singular piece of string more like a tapestry and that there's been these breaks cuts changes shifts and, and they're bleeding into the current storylines. And this might be an attempt to sort of try and show where those changes occurred and restarts and things like that. Because, I mean, pick your pick your one of the more recent or in the past, whether it's uh, the new 52 rebirth or the cataclysmic changes that came at the end of Crisis on Infinite Earths. Uh, there's been dramatic changes to the timeline, ones that have altered what we you know, reference and how we're able to reference it based on when they occurred and, and what the implications sometimes ended up being.
1: Yeah, one thing I've always appreciated and loved about DC is that a lot of times they're not afraid to hit reset on their continuity. And you have to be willing to do that with characters that are now 80 years old. So and I kind of like that they can play with that timeline so much. And I hope with this official timeline, that doesn't kind of constrain that.
0: I agree. And also because of the things that I've had a chance to see with things like Justice League, where we're finally getting to to get a hint of some of those things that I always loved, like their connection to the Justice Society of America, which didn't really feel like it had a present in the rebirth story that we're being told. And yet now it feels like they might have that chance to do so. And also some of those great future elements. I mean, Justice Legionade and stuff that I loved from Millennium or uh, or sorry, not not Millennium, uh, DC one million stories and things like that. And it, it feels like they all have a value that should be included. But finding a way to do it with all these restarts and resets can be tricky, to say the least. That, that, that they could create a timeline that addresses them and gives some overlying uh, explanation could be a really interesting approach. Um, mm-hmm. I'm curious, too, what you might think of this idea in comparison to some of the recent stuff that's been going on in things like uh, Justice League, where they've been talking about these different dimensions and how they exist. And how they also relate to uh, some of these other concepts within DC comics, whether it's the new gods or other elemental forces that are sort of able to cross into ours, but are separated by these series of rings, these abilities to to layer everything in in some way. Um, Are you familiar with what I'm referencing? This sort of map you've seen where it's like...
1: Yeah, a little bit. And um, I I think I'm going to go back to what i said and i think that this is all they're all setting this up for something big that's got you that's i mean i that that just seems to me um and they've been they've been really good about how they're building up certain things since dark knight's metal um you know with the infected and doomsday clock and all the things that are going on it's kind of leading to some very interesting things so i think that it's all going to have a big
0: payoff I agree. I feel that their willingness to be aware of those things in each one of these approaches is a separate recognition that's all designed to, at some point, tie together to this overall event that's going to be occurring. So it'll be interesting to see how much this peak at this new timeline actually holds value in comparison to those others, or if it's just like peak in a corner where you're like, yeah, I saw an eyeball. Oh, I don't know what it's doing, if it's happy, sad. I just saw like this one little peak of a corner. It's an eyeball. I don't even know what it means anymore. You know, and it could be later. It's the the eye of one character in the corner of the picture, and everything else that's important is happening somewhere else in that picture. So right. what we'll get to see when we see the real timeline, I'm sure that's a conversation we're going to be having. But in the meantime, we can look forward to the things currently occurring in the present timeline, and one of those is the announcement that batwoman and supergirl will be paired up in three stories in their very own walmart giant or giant which were previously walmart exclusives and now are actually being offered to retailers directly it sounds like a perfect pairing to me but you don't listen just for my thoughts and opinions brad what was your take on this uh combination
1: yeah i think I think it makes a lot of sense to bring those two characters together. Um, it's one of those serendipitous moments. They both have CW shows that are uh, – that are hits, so why not see them team up? And I'm just really glad that these giant issues are coming to comic shops and not just Walmart now. Because um, living around New York City, I don't necessarily have access to Walmarts that easily. surprisingly enough, but um, – I just love that I can get my hands on these and I just love these original stories and they all seem like they're going to be good.
0: So yeah, these, these giant books are, 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 a lot of fun for sure. I agree. There isn't a Walmart close to me. The one that was close closed down about a year or two ago. And given where I am in the Bay area, they're not always easy to get to. So for a time it felt like something that just wasn't, in my area wasn't in my frame of reference and now that they're being offered at the local comic shops it's been an interesting thing to suddenly see them popping up on the shelves and go oh yeah huh Mm -hmm. so now they're here and like you said it makes sense for two characters who have made really positive appearances and have a great following on the cw to also be matched together in comics and i think it's a really interesting comparison of personalities They're so polar opposite in many ways that it's a a completely fresh take on an idea of the world's finest Batman and Superman. So I think it makes for a a really fun series of stories. Looking forward to seeing what the response is and if it means more stories in the future. Um, However, one thing that is going to be a little bit farther in the future than might have originally been intended is the announcement that Wonder Woman number 83 has been pushed back by about three weeks i don't really know what to say anymore about these stories about pushbacks i feel like sometimes there's a great amount of information given and i can go sure makes all the sense in the world give the artists and the writers and the team what they need on this one i really didn't get that that sort of sense of anything like that um did you have a response did, did you catch something i misread no
1: um this is something that we talked ad nauseum about on this podcast mid- always sucks when we don't have a reason why but um i'm just gonna say that they are taking their time because they want to work and really put out a kick-ass wonder woman 750 and that's and i'm just gonna leave it at that until they tell me more but uh yeah these these delays are really bubbing me out
0: what do you think you know that's a really important thing i think that you know could have gotten buried in this story because it's not something that's actually discussed in a lot of the the lead up to it. But then, yes, when you go into the description, it does make a point of saying that series writer Steve Orlando confirmed in a tweet Thursday that January's Wonder Woman number 750, or acting as the 84th issue, will be the next issue of the series after 83. That things it seems like are going to be on time after this, and that if they needed a little extra time to make 7.50 a really impressive showing, I I get it too, but that's something that I think maybe could have been included in the headline and would have let people interpret this story a little differently, because initially, it does feel like just another, ah, here we go again, and, you know, comic book is going to be late, but pointing to the idea that We've seen some amazing things from Action Comics, Detective Comics, uh, even the the Marvel Comics 1000 on these 1000s. And I feel like there's a recognition that even with something like 750, you could make the same sort of impact with a Wonder Woman book that's done correctly. And if they're willing to take the time to make sure it's done correctly, and that puts a little bit of delay into the the book preceding it, then I'm definitely going to agree with you on that one. It sounds like the right move. It sounds like the smart move. And put to the question, that's the move I would make given the choice. Because if I can make that 750 a really great issue, well, the complications leading before it, they're they're worth it. And providing a great issue like 750, number 84, is a, is a way to sort of prove that. So go ahead, fix it, make it great, and afterwards we can sing your praises when we're reading issue number 84. Thanks for that, man. Appreciate it. That was a that was a good insight. Really like that Um, pointed up something that that maybe we could have missed. And I'm glad we didn't. And what I love about it is that's a great way for us to end this episode and wrap things up. Thank you for joining us this week, just like every week. If you are not a regular subscriber, guess what? The opportunity is right before you. DC Comics News is on all the major podcast platforms. So whether you listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or Google Play, you can head over right now, click that subscribe button, and then rate and review. I mean, I think we're five stars, and you can tell us all about it in your review. And if you think we're not, well, go ahead and give it your best shot. I guarantee we're listening, and we can't wait to hear. And if that's not your favorite way to do it, You can always just leave us a message on one of those amazing social media channels where we're available. Take your pick of Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, or YouTube. All you need is that at symbol and DC Comics News. That's capital D, capital C, capital C, -C O-M-I-C-S, capital N, E-W-S. Leave us your comments, your questions, your thoughts, your hopes, your dreams, and we'll do our best to respond to each appropriately and to the best of our ability. You can also tune in here to uh, catch me doing the DC Comics News Spinner Act, my top five pick on a weekly basis, and our newest podcast, That I Am The Night series, weekly breakdown episode by episode of Batman the Animated Series, hosted by our good friend Steve J. Ray. But on this episode, you've been lucky enough to listen to the amazing Mr. Brad Falicki, if you want to find more by him, about him, regarding or in other ways connected to him, Brad, where should the people be looking?
1: Uh, you can read my reviews and news on dccomicsnews.com and uh, can follow me on Twitter, FlickyB1.
0: And I've been your host, Seth Singleton. As I said, you can find me here on a weekly basis hosting the Spinner Rack If you're looking for me on social media, this time I'm going to tell you my Instagram. It's at Seth the Writer. I tried to think of a more pretentious name. Couldn't come up with one. So I went with at Seth the Writer. Go ahead. Leave me a comment. If it's about my pretentious name, I'm going to chuckle out loud. And then I'll make an audio recording of me chuckling and share it right back at you. Because that'll just be too funny. However, that's our final little bit of information. It's time for brad and i to go back to our lives to our comics to our families who thankfully let us skip away for this great session where we talked about all our favorite things from dc comics in the meantime all we can encourage you to do is to read more comics that's it folks see you next time thanks again for always tuning in bye